This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship on Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There's a place for you here. For information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Our first reading is from Acts chapter 9. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, Suddenly a a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, How much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. For several days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. The word of the Lord. Our second lesson today is from Revelation, the fifth chapter. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels surrounding the throne and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with full voice, 
Worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Holy wisdom, holy word. The Holy Gospel according to John, the 21st chapter. After he appeared to his followers in Jerusalem, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. 
He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. The Gospel of the Lord. William and Ruth and I went to see uh, Avengers Endgame last night in the, what I've learned is the mythical theater 16, which apparently people in the know understand has the best sound system in Columbus. So we were rumbling around in our seats amidst explosions and, and death rays and galaxies collapsing and everything else. And after three hours, the movie came to an end. And I waited. I waited. And I waited through those end credits to see the last little epilogue. And it wasn't there. They fooled me into watching every last one of those stupid digital assistants' names. Every other one of the Avenger movies we've gone to, there's always been that little epilogue at the end that gives some hint of what is coming up next. Well, that's what we get today. If the Avengers won't give it to me, John the Gospel writer does. Almost all biblical scholars agree that the Gospel was intended to end at the end of chapter 20, where John writes, I could have written a whole lot more, but I have written this so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Lord. Full stop, screen to black, roll the credits amidst blaring horns and Jesus Christ is risen today. Except then, when we get to the end credits and the screen goes black, it comes up again. And the camera pans across a peaceful beach with gentle waves lapping up on the shore, perhaps the sound of a, of a seagull overhead. And a bunch of guys seating in a gently creaking, rocking fishing boat. When off in the distance we see some guy, some beach bum sitting around a fire, and he calls out, have you caught anything? To which they say, no. 
To which he says, eh, try the other side. And all of a sudden, they pull in this huge haul of fish. And one of them cries out, it is the Lord. And Peter who is always there to provide comic relief throughout this movie of the Gospel of John, puts on his clothes and jumps into the sea. He's lucky he didn't drown. He could have used the ability to walk on water then. He swims to shore. The other disciples follow after him, dragging the net. And it says they didn't say anything because they knew it was the Lord. Now the camera pulls back behind the fire as these disciples walk awestruck up the beach to the fire and silently sit down around it. And there is Jesus baking some bread, frying some fish, making breakfast. I've always loved breakfast. Breakfast, I've always said, is the most hopeful meal of the day. The whole day lies before you. Anything can happen. And breakfast is how you get ready. On Monday, Thursday, we celebrated the Last Supper, but apparently it wasn't quite the Last Supper because here they are gathered together again for a meal with Jesus. In fact, it's interesting if you look at the earliest depictions of the Last Supper, you will find not just bread and wine on the table, but fish as well. An acknowledgement that somehow this meal fits into this scenario as well. There's something very human about eating. At the risk of too many media references, uh, I've been watching this series on Netflix called Love, Death, and Robots. And there's one where these three robots are wandering through a post-apocalyptic world on a sightseeing tour. They are wandering amidst all of these skeletons and everything left over from the human race, trying to understand who these humans were. And they wander into a diner, and there on the table is a moldy cheeseburger. One of them says, what's that? And one of them says, well, that's, that's how they powered themselves. They'd take that and they'd put it in their intake orifice. And the other one says, Woo, that is weird. I've got a, a nuclear power reactor on me. Said, oh, yeah, they were weird. They had all kinds of orifices. There were always stuff going in, coming out. And I think it kind of makes a good point. We are not closed off. We like to think that there's us and there's the rest of the world and that there's this clean boundary between us and those others out there. But the fact is that we are porous beings 
We take in oxygen and air through our skin. We, we breathe in air into our lungs. We take in cheeseburgers through our intake orifice. And we do the other stuff that's required. We are open to what is around us. It is part of what makes us human. In fact, one could even go so far as it's one of the foundational things that makes us human. And here Jesus meets the disciples on the beach and offers them breakfast. Take and eat. We share the peace. It's one of the things that we do in our worship. And I know that for some people, they really enjoy doing that. I dare say a lot of people, it really makes them nervous. Having to reach out and shake hands with a bunch of weirdos around you that you may or may not know. God help the poor visitor who comes in and all of a sudden is mobbed by all these people in flu season going, hi, so wonderful to see you. And in flu season, you become very aware of just how porous you are. But I think there's something wonderful, something necessary, and something foundational about that sharing of the peace. When Jesus comes to the disciples just after the resurrection, he holds out his wounded hands and he says, peace be with you. In fact, almost every time he runs into the disciples, he says, peace be with you. And he engages them again and again in ways that remind him that he is still the incarnated one. The resurrection does not mean that somehow now he gets to slough off this messy, porous body and ascend to the heavenly realms. It rather means he continues to be with us as the physical incarnated one as the one who can still reach out and take our hand, as the one who still sits down and eats with us. That first time he shows up after the resurrection, he says, hey, what's in the fridge? What you got to eat? And here again, he's eating again. He seems to do that all through the gospel. He's constantly eating. I, I think maybe we're supposed to notice that. But he doesn't just feed the disciples. You'll notice that as they are hauling in this overflow catch of fish, and by the way, we're told that there, were, there was every kind of fish, 153 of them. And early commentators noted that it was believed that there were 153 types of fish in the Sea of Tiberias. So by pulling in this net, they were pulling in every last kind of person. 
which I guess means every person. And he says to them, bring some of your own fish. Perhaps a handy little shout out as we go into our emphasis on stewardship. He tells them, bring some of your own fish. There's something more to this meal than just being fed. And then, after they've had their own meal, he takes Simon Peter aside and he says, do you love me? Oh man, poor Simon. Poor Simon, he has been already gutted by his betrayal of Jesus not once but three times. And now here is the resurrected one still bearing the scars of that betrayal, asking him, do you love me not once but three times? Peter must have been emotionally flayed at this moment. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Jesus finds the hungriest one amongst the disciples, the one who is most hungry for forgiveness and grace, who is most hungry for the kingdom of God because he most needs it, and says, you, you, go out and feed my sheep. Take this fish and go feed someone else. The wonder of the incarnated Christ, the post-resurrection incarnated Christ, is that he has redeemed this. Those angels gathered around the throne that we heard about in our second reading today, all they can do is sing God's praises. We've got this. We have flesh. We have hands. We can feed people. We can do the work of Christ because we are his body his body. We have been fed with bread, with wine, with fish. We have been nourished and sustained by the one who continues to meet us again and again and again, feeding us. This is not a special meal to be enjoyed on special occasions, this is breakfast. This is the most hopeful meal of the day. This is what comes to us at the beginning of whatever comes next. And as this epilogue fades, we see Jesus walking up the beach being followed by these well-fed, still awestruck disciples. 
walking into whatever the future holds as the sun comes up over the horizon. And the last words we hear are follow me. Not go forth, not see you later. Follow me. The one who feeds us goes ahead of us and feeds us still so that we might go out and feed his sheep. Not just their hunger, but all of those hungers that haunt us throughout our existence. A hunger for purpose. A hunger for companionship. A a hunger for acceptance. A hunger for rest. For shelter. And yes, for food. And because we are fed with physical bread and wine and physical fish, because we are the incarnated presence of Christ in this place, we can do that. Amen.